Well, our passage for the sermon this morning is from Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray very quickly. O Father, let the words of my mouth and let the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, we come, we look at this passage of Scripture. Probably, um, again, this is one of those passages, if you ever had... uh, nav press cards you might have had this verse in your packet work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure every time you read that I think every time I've read that by myself and you have all probably been taught something like this when you're reading your Bible at home with your coffee beside your Bibles and your different things and you're being all cozy and warm while you read your Bibles, you've probably always read that, that I am to work out my salvation, my own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not what it really means. (laughs) Let me see if I can give you an illustration. Here's the illustration. Um... We have a favorite flower in Reformed circles. Our favorite flower is called the tulip. (laughs) T-U-L-I-P. We have a favorite flower. It's me and my total depravity. And it's me and my unconditional election. And it's me and my limited atonement. And it's me and my irresistible grace. And see, I see somebody over there shaking their head. And it's me and my what? Perseverance. But I want you to listen to me now. T-U-L-I-P, it's total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and it's the perseverance of the saint. What? The saint? Oh, the saints. It's the perseverance of the saints. So here, even in our beloved flower, we have the perseverance of the people of God all the way to glory. Not the perseverance. It's not me and my perseverance. It's me and my perseverance with others. It's the church. This is the, the doctrine of the church is built right into our favorite flower. And it's not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. Perseverance of the saints teaches us that our Christianity can't be found on Sunday morning in a bass boat with a 300 horsepower engine and a big, big trolling motor in the front pitching a jig and listening to Christian music and a sermon after, afterwards. Our Christianity, we don't practice our Christianity on Sunday morning by going to a football game and saying, everything I do is worship. This is just part of the worship. No, we're to gather with the church. We're to be with the saints. We're to persevere with the church all the way to glory. And that means that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We do this assembling. And this is exactly as we come to this text in front of us, we're going to see... That it's the church that Paul's talking to, not just you and me personally. It's the local church, and I think I got this from a commentary, but somebody said it this way. He says, you've got to get your corporate act together. (laughs) You've got to get your church's act 
together. That's what he's saying here. And so we use the word there in verse 12. He says, so then, and that translates a Greek word that can also mean therefore. Now, every time we say, every time we've had a sermon on the word therefore, what do we always say? What's the therefore, therefore? And the therefore is there to tell us to go backwards and then to go forwards. So it pushes us back and it pushes us forwards. And so we go back to verse 27 in chapter 1. And in verse 27 through 30, we have the church facing the world. And you and I, we face the world. As we face the world, you and I, verses 27 through 30, we're to stand firm in one spirit. As we face the world side by side, shoulder to shoulder, we're to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then he tells us, Paul tells us, not to be intimidated by all our opponents as we hold forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the side-by-side part. That's the facing out the world part. This is where Euodia in chapter 4 and Syntyche are doing really good together, but they just don't do good sitting down and drinking coffee together. Remember? They're just not drinking coffee very well together. And so we move to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and this is where the church has to face itself. Chapter 2, 1 through 4, what are we doing there? Well, we are to share one mind, one love, one soul, one purpose for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're to avoid selfishness. We are to avoid empty conceit. We're to put on humility. We're to see others as more important than ourselves. And we're to regard the interest of others the same way we we regard our own interests. We could just borrow the second part of the two important commandments, the two great commandments that summarize the ten. We need to love others the way we love ourselves. Finally, we turn to chapter 2, verse 5, and then we move on to verse 11. We are to have the mind of Christ. And what is the mind of Christ? Well, it's a mind of obedience. So then... My beloved, Paul says, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So we have an example. Jesus is our example. We are to follow that example. You can look at it in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Jesus comes from heaven to earth, and he obeys all the way to the point of death. That's the, the, that is the epitomizing event of Jesus' 33 years. He only had 33 years to finish all that he had to do. And he did it. And he was obedient. And he's the one we bow down to. He's the one we confess. He's the one to whom we submit. Now Paul calls the church in Philippi this wonderful term. He says, my beloved. And do you know, remember back, now I'm going to ask you to go back in your mind. You remember in Acts chapter 16 when we started talking about the Philippian church? He preaches in Acts 16 and these three groups of folks come into the church. There's the the jailer and his family, there's Lydia and her family, and there's the, the girl who's the demons cast out. And that's the church. That's the start of the church. And surely they just love their preacher who came and brought the gospel to them 10 years ago. He's in this prison. Now he's writing this letter to them. And they loved him. And they loved Jesus. And they would do anything for him. But the apostles kind of senses a little danger. They have this tendency to lean on him a little too much. (laughs) They love for him to interact with them. And they want him to come back. And they want him to be there where they can talk to him. And there's nothing wrong with that. But maybe they want him back a little too much. And he sees that it's not entirely the best thing in the world. Because he knows that he may never return. He knows that he might lose his head. 
because Nero is going to make a judgment and then his life either goes on or it stops. And so he knows he needs to teach these folks that it's wonderful for you to obey when I'm present, but much more necessary for you to obey me when I'm not present and you trust in that Jesus who's seated at the right hand of the Father who gave us this example. So you and I, we bow before Jesus, Paul says, and confess his name and submit to his rule so much more in my absence, he says. Now here is an application. There's, there's, a, there's a sermon coming. But here's, there, there's two points coming, and they both start with ease. But here's an application. This is for the young people. Are you hearing the gospel? Are you obeying the gospel when you're in the house? Are you obeying the gospel when you're in your home? Are you obeying the gospel when you're in the presence of the preachers and in in the presence of the elders and in the presence of maybe godly friends that you are around? But then what will you do with Jesus when you leave home? You need to think about this. What will you do with Jesus when you leave home? When there's no elders when you're in the dorm. When there's no elders when you're at school. When there's no elders when you're working your first job. And you're there and you're going to be enticed, Proverbs 1 says, by sinners. Come and throw in your lot with us. (laughs) What will you do? What will you do? During these days, we have an opportunity, young people, to make Jesus Christ belong to you. Make him your own. Make him yours. Make godly friends. Make Jesus' will. Make this word your food. Your pastor's pleading with you in Christ's stead to do this today. You have an opportunity. I told some of these men who stuck around yesterday that I'd been studying in Proverbs 1, just reading it over and over, and and, uh, maybe I'll share it with you all right now. But in Proverbs chapter 2, no, Proverbs 2, If you want to be a man who's on the good path, here's what you need to do, young people. And he says it. He says it this way. My son, my daughter, if you will receive my words, receive this revelation, treasure these words in your heart, make your ears attentive to the wisdom that comes from the Word of God. Incline your heart to understanding if you cry for this discernment and lift your voice for understanding and seek her as with silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. God is the one who will give Himself to you and this wisdom to you. And it will penetrate your hearts and it will give you guidance and it will protect you all the days of your life. Young people, you have to do this today in the presence of of your mother and your dad and your elders and your preacher you have to do it today so you will do it later think about that you've heard it what will you do with it well the first point this morning is the exhortation and the second point this morning is the encouragement let's look at the exhortation the exhortation there is work out your salvation with fear and trembling now i always like reading um William Hendrickson. William Hendrickson, anytime, if you read a William Hendrickson commentary, what he does when it's a plural pronoun, he always puts uh, spaces between the Y and the O and the U and the R. If it's Y-O-U-R, it's singular. If it's Y-O-U-R, it's plural, right? It's always plural. And so in the Greek, it's work out your plural salvation. 
with fear and trembling. Now, like I said, we were sitting in here the other day, and Sumter was, and Pastor Sumter, sorry, Pastor Sumter was sitting in here, and he was saying, you know, every time I read the Bible, I read the Bible, and I'm looking for this to apply to me. And that's right. And we ought to apply it to ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. But just make sure that when we read this one, we realize it's not just me, but it's me and you together. Work out your church, Philippian church, your own salvation. Work out your uh, good shepherd, OPC, your salvation. In Philippians chapter 6, he says it's always in the plural here. We love these verses. For I am confident of this very thing that he, that God who began a good work in you, plural, will continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ. So we have a God who works in us and he, he who began that work, he continues that work in us and he continues it till it's completed on the day of Christ Jesus. It's the church. In Philippians 1.29, the apostle tells us another time. He tells us that God is the one who gives us graciously faith. Where does it come from? It's a saving grace. It's a saving grace. It's something that comes from God. It's granted to us. And along with the faith is granted suffering. Suffering. Philippians 1.29. It has been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. It's plural. It's plural. God is giving us faith together as a church, to work out our salvation together as a church, all the way to glory. And if we work this salvation out amongst ourselves, faith in Jesus Christ, we will have some things happen to us. We will have to suffer. The church is being called to get its corporate act together. Work out your salvation, Good Shepherd OPC. Reform your church's life, Good Shepherd OPC. Get rid of anything that causes strife. Get rid of anything like pride and selfishness and vainglory. Get rid of anything that would diminish the health of the church and work for the health of the church. Why must we do this? Well, because the apostle says to. How about that? <laughs> you know, I, I remember this. 2000, I went to go to my first Presbyterian meeting to see, I'll, I'll say his name. He wouldn't bother, wouldn't bother him. Nathan Hornfell set for his exam. And, they, and one of the ministers said, okay, Nathan, Mr. Hornfell, they don't say Nathan, they say Mr. Hornfell. They say, um, now, if Jesus died for all of your sins, why should you confess your sins? And he, all he said was, because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> and that's just exactly right, isn't it? Uh, if Jesus has died for all my sins, I still need to confess my sins daily because Jesus tells me so. <laughs> And then there's another reason that we are to be uh, those who are getting our corporate act together. It's because he says grumbling and complaining and all this strife and all these things and Yodi and Sintiki not being able to sit and talk to, uh, to, about spiritual things with each other. You know what happens? Our lights are dimmer than they should be. We don't adver advertise Christ as we ought to when we have strife in the church. So we are to work out this salvation amongst ourselves. What does this work look like? Well, I've already said it. it looks like obedience. Verse 12 says, So then, my beloved, just as you also obeyed. <laughs> obeyed. In verse 5, it says we're to have the mind of Christ. What kind of mind did Jesus have? He had an obedient mind. He had a mind that, that ate and drank and slept the will of God. He couldn't stand to do anything but the will of God. And so he came and he did it. And he did all the way to the point of death. And so you and I, we are not to obey and die for anybody. 
And you and I are not to suffer and die and obey and die for our own sins because there's only one person who can suffer and die for our sins by his obedience, and that was Jesus. But we're to follow Jesus in our obedience. So men and women and boys and girls, we are to obey. It may mean death. I was reading a biography last night, and this man was ready to die. He was ready to die for coming to Christ. And it might, have, it might happen. It might happen to somebody at times because of their past. You and I, we are to put off selfishness. And, you know, one of the things that, that basically comes to my mind, I went and looked this back up. I couldn't remember um, the guy's name. So I went back to First Kings and I reminded myself. Adonijah, you know what Adonijah said when Solomon was supposed to be king? You know what he said? I will be king. <laughs> you know what Diotrephes was known for? He was known for being first. He wants to be first. And all of us, if we want to have healthy church, Good Shepherd, healthy church, OPC, Good Shepherd, healthy church, if we want to be healthy, we have to put those things down. And here's how we do it. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. If you want to have a harmonious Good Shepherd church, then we have to die daily. We have to die hourly. We have to die sometimes second by second. When Jesus had those nails driven into his wrist and to his feet, when he had that crown of thorns on his head, it was hurting. It was a lot of pain. Don't ever think there wasn't. And if you and I are going to take up a cross, then we're not, not necessarily, he's not meaning necessarily we're going to just go straight up and be crucified, but we're going to hurt Dying daily is going to hurt. So let me give you six thoughts here. Do it early. Take up your cross and follow Jesus early. This is especially for the young people. Think about the little boy Jesus. Think about where he was. I must be about whose business? I must be about my father's business. So he's about his father's business. And remember, mom and dad had to come and find him. And he was talking to all those older guys about spiritual things in the church. And so then he came and he follows mom and dad home and he submits to them. And he grows in stature. He gets bigger. And he grows in wisdom and in favor with God and man. He grows up. He grows up in a godly home. He grows up obeying. And young people, listen, you need to be about your father's business. Your daddy is your father. He points you to a bigger father who's God the father. And you need to be about your father's business. Business. You need to be about the business of submitting to parents. You need to be about the business of learning to love the Word of God and learn to think godly thought in th- godly thought patterns. We need to do it. Do it early. Start early. Do it zealously. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus zealously. I love what it says in Luke nine. One translation says Jesus set his face like what? Flint, like a rock. Jesus set his face like flint to the cross. He's going to the cross. That's what we do. Zealously. Young people, don't do your obedience to Jesus Christ like a snail. In California, there's snails everywhere. People bait, put bait out to kill snails. I went out in the yard one day and there were billion snails. I, I took a rake and I raked them out in the road one day. It was terrible. Click, clack, click, clack. Cars were running over them all day. It was awful. Snails are slow. Right? 
Don't do your obedience like a snail. Snails aren't full of zeal. Snails are slow. You and I, we do our zeal. We do, it, do our obedience with zeal. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus, redeeming the time. Do you know Jesus only had 33 years to do his obedience? He didn't have 70. I'm hoping, I'm hoping for more. Steve's hoping for more. We're hoping for more. But we're close to 70. Jesus had 33 years to accomplish everything God would accomplish through him. And he did it. He redeemed his time. You know, I don't know about you. I like, I like riding. I haven't gotten to ride as much, but I'll show you something. I, pre- I was preparing my prayer for this morning. And when I start running out of, when I start running out of white, I start riding smaller. Because I'm starting to use up every piece of paper that I possibly can. And you and I are to use up every single second of our life doing the will of God as best we can by the Spirit's power. Redeeming the time. Take up your crosses daily and follow Jesus with fear and trembling. Jesus comes from heaven to earth and Jesus, the one thing he doesn't want to do, do you know the one thing Jesus doesn't want to do the whole time he's on the earth? He has an absolute dread of having his father frown at his life. He does not want to bring a frown to his father's life. He will do the most menial things, and he dreads the idea of displeasing his father. And that's what it means, fear and trembling. You and I are to fear, with fear and trembling, live our lives. We don't want to bring about a frown from our father's face, but to bring a smile to his face. Take up your crosses daily and follow Jesus in spite of, listen to this one now, this is for all of you guys. Ready? In spite of all kinds of obstacles, in spite of all kinds of opposition, in spite of all kinds of discouragement, man, we've had plenty of stuff to be discouraged about here in this place, haven't we? Water being turned off, but we had 40, 42 people in a house on Christmas Day. 42, 44, I can't remember it, but it was in the over 40. I was expecting 25. God, just shame on you. Shame on you. Take up your crosses daily in spite of every obstacle and opposition and discouragement. No person on the face of the earth faced more obstacles and opposition than Jesus Christ. And he wasn't discouraged. You and I, as we face each other, we take up our crosses and we die to our selfishness. We have to die to that statement that Adonijah made. I will be king. No, I will not be king. We have to die to this idea of being served by the church. We have to go out and serve others. When I want to be served, oh, I want somebody to serve me. Well, when you want somebody to serve you and nobody's serving, you go out and find somebody and serve them and it'll all work out. That's what we do. And we have had all kinds of you know, we have obstacles and we have opposition where our flesh is working against us. And then we just have these physical pains. <laughs> Pipes leak. Refrigerators have problems. Insurance companies. School issues. I've had a few people talk to me about school issues. And yet, in spite of all of it, what do we do? We live in a fallen world. There's going to be these problems. What are we going to do? We're going to quit. Folks, listen, we don't quit. What's that, what's that statement that uh, Winston Churchill made? Never give up. <laughs> and then he says it about never, never give up. And he says it over and over and over. 
Never, never, never give up. We're never going to give up. We sometimes feel like quitting, but we have to set our face like flint, and we have to let go through every discouragement. And here's the last one. There's six of these. Take up your crosses daily and follow Jesus to the end. To the end. Jesus goes all the way to the end. Jesus does his best obedience to the end. This is for my mom. This one's for my mom. He saved his best obedience for the last. He came and he loved us to his own death. He said it is finished. He didn't go all the way to the cross and say, Now, Peter, I want you to do this last part for me. (laughs) He's the only one who could have done it. He was the Son of God, man, and God in one person. He's the only one who could do this for us. He had to finish the work, and he did his best obedience at the end. How many people finish well? Let's finish well. You and I, every day, we have to give our obedience to him every single day. We have to do, the be- do our best for him. You know, that's one of the things I've heard people say. I just want to go to church. I just want Sunday school to be fine. I don't want to have any more problems. I want everything to be okay after the sermon. I want to go home, and I want to sit down and have my nice food and have my nice meal and kick my feet up in my nice lazy boy, and I want everything to be smooth. And I said to my mom when she said that to me, I said, Mama, that's heaven. That's smooth, smooth, smooth is, that kind of smooth is in heaven. This kind of smooth on this earth is spelled O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Larry Gelwicks was a, was a rugby coach. I've tried to tell you guys to watch this movie, Forever Strong. It, it does have the blessing. Okay? But now here's the thing. You know what Larry Gelwicks said? He said, obedience doesn't make your life easy. He said it makes life easier. <laughs> makes life easier. Go try the disobedient route and see how bad it gets. But obedience does make your life easier, and that's the route we take on the earth. It's the life of difficulty. It's a life of, listen to me, do your best to the end. Do not rust out. Do not stall out. Do not rely on the past. Do not settle for Take up your cross now and do your obedience to God all the way to the end. If you can think, if you can move, if you can pray, you do it all the way to the end. One of the things that was just a blessing, a few weeks ago we went and did a little singing over at a rest home. And you know, I tell you what, Phyllis Sumter was in that wheelchair and she was singing like I was singing, loud as she could. And it was great. All the way to the end. That's what this work looks like, folks. Working out your salvation is getting our corporate act together. It means that we obey early, zealously, redeeming our time with fear and trembling, overcoming every obstacle, every opposition, every difficulty, all the way to the end. So when our flesh yearns to be selfish, put it down, die. When your flesh yearns to be to say hard words to somebody, die. When you want somebody to serve you, die. Get up and go serve somebody. When your church is not meeting your needs, you need to die. Put aside the selfishness and put on the humility of Jesus, and it'll make our church strong. Well, that's the exhortation. Well, you know what? 
man, that sounds kind of hard. I need somebody to help me. I need some encouragement. So I'm going to give you the encouragement. It's in verse 13 too. It says, for it is God who is at work in you. That's encouragement right there, isn't it? But to God is at work in you both to willing to work for his good pleasure. I'm going to get my corporate act together. I need encouragement. Here it is. Number one, God's in you. Did you get that? God is in you. What, what did we read? I, I tell you what, I, I read, when we sang this hymn, we, uh, surely in temples made with hands, God the Most High is not dwelling. In High in the heavens, His temple stands, all earthly temples excelling. Yet He who dwells in heaven above deigns to abide with us in love. That was worth singing that. Well, let's sing that again. Jesus comes down, we say, in John 1, 14. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And the Word, the, the Word that becomes flesh and dwells among us also is the one who dwells in us by His Spirit. Now, you know, oh, uh, Apostle Paul, he's got his son in the faith, Timothy. And you know what he says in 2 Timothy 1, 7? He says, son... God's not given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of what? The first word, power. <laughs> Dunamis power. <laughs> this is a spirit. God is in you. He is in you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this temple of the, this Holy Spirit in you is a spirit of power. And God's at work in you, working ceaselessly, for it is God who is at work in you. That's present tense, is ceaselessly working in you. you ever go to Christmas. We just talked about Christmas. And you know, you see these kids at Christmas and they get all excited about their gifts and they open up all their gifts and then they go to sleep. They just get tired of it. And then at the end, you work so hard for all those months maybe to buy them a special gift and they're playing with ribbons and boxes. <laughs> they just cease to play with the thing you thought they would love. God doesn't cease to work in us. He never ceases to work in us. You may do all that you can to neutralize his work in you. You might do all that you can, Jonah, to go to Tarshish when you should go to Nineveh. But God is not going to stop working in you. God's going to go after you and bring you maybe through some great fish experiences as you go down to the bottom of the sea and be brought back up to the obedience shore that he was brought to. God's working in you ceaselessly. God is working in you effectually. For it is God who's at work in you both to will and to work. The word effectually, you know, that's kind of one of those words, you know, I don't use that very often, but what it means is that God has power to accomplish what he desires. He has the power to accomplish what he desires. God is the one who brings the gospel to your heart and changes your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He's the one who takes leopards who have spots and he removes their spots. He's the one who comes to Saul of Tarshish who's crying out and going to arrest Christians. And we find him calling out to Jesus for salvation. That's what God does. It's God taking the shouts of men preaching and knocking them to their knees and bringing them to a Savior. It's God changing our taste buds. God is at work in you. If He's working in you, you'll know it. You're going to be moving forward. You're going to be moving towards Jesus Christ. You will be changed. You will cry to be baptized. 
You will cry. Listen to me. You will want water. Let me put it this way. You will want bread. You will want wine. And you'll want somebody, in this case, in this case, it's a slate. I think this is color is slate. Call it gray, not black. You want water and bread and a black book, and you want these things. This is when you never wanted them before. That's what God's work does. He enables you to be in harmony. This is what we want. Now, we all know people who've had their feelings hurt in the church, and they left. And we all know people who've had their feelings hurt in the church, and they sit on the edge, and they don't make connections. And we all know that in ourselves, we have all asked this question, well, if I get involved with these people, I might get my feelings hurt. Those are all true. But Jesus, when he went to the cross, he went to the cross not for one person, he went to the cross for a people, for a, a, an elect people. And you and I, we come to church for the people. And we come to church and we go at it again. And we don't give up and we work on these relationships. Well, finally, God is in you and he's working purposefully. He says, for his own, for his good pleasure. Why does God do this? I love this. Why does God do what he does? Because he loves it. <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> for his own good pleasure. That's why he does it. He's promoting fellowship. He's promoting relationships. He's promoting conversations that haven't happened yet. <laughs> for us. He's promoting us in us to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You, somebody, I, somebody said, well, I, I don't have very many spiritual things to talk about. Well, friend, we can remedy that. We have Bible studies. We can sit down and have coffee together, and we can read the Bible together. Can't we, Matt, and talk about spiritual things together? For a solid year, sir. <laughs> That's right. I met with Matt for a year straight. We have spiritual things we can talk about this is God loves this and he loves it in the plural in the corporate church he knows we need it he knows we need to hear somebody preach from a black book he knows we need to feed on the black book he knows we need to sit down and eat bread and drink wine together he knows we need to pray together and participate together how can we fulfill this exhortation get our corporate act together. Well, we can because God is at work in us. He doesn't, he doesn't cease. He's always effectual. He's always purposeful to bring pleasure to himself and to make things good for us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as your people. We thank you for this. This is a gray book, but we always call, call the Bible a black book. We thank you for the bread. Thank you for the wine. We thank you for the water. We thank you for the fellowship that we have in this church. We pray, Lord, for the corporate uh, unity of our congregation as we work out our salvation together. Help us to die to our own desires and help us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be those full of early work and zealous work and redeeming our time and overcoming every obstacle all the way to the end. Help us, Lord, as we know you're at work in us. We'll praise you for it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.